we're trying to create people who are a force to be reckoned with, who don't, who don't just know what they believe, but they know why they believe it. And they can defend it articulately, passionately, and without backing down. Not being a jerk, but certainly um, not letting down. Their, their truth and their core political belief is their religion. And they are so adamant and passionate and emotional about it because that is their God with a little G. God really pressed on his heart. You need to go back to the girl that you had that abortion with and you need to apologize to her. And you need to apologize to her face to face. Uh, fetus phobic is someone who is afraid of the natural consequences of heterosexual sex and is terrified of, of, of a pre-born child of a little baby. And I like to say that Roe v. Wade is the story or the court case everyone has heard of, but nobody knows anything about. Governor Walker, thanks for being here. Very great to be with you. I should say it's a pleasure for me to be here. I think Rush is doing that too. And he is he's basically saying, look, I may be dying, but I'm not dead. Dr. Alveda King to Feed Ace podcast. Dr. King, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jerry, and hello, everyone. But they have an objective. The objective is more tax money, more control, and a promotion of a political ideology. It's a pro-socialist, secular worldview. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Feed Ace podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I am your host, and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. Hey, uh, you know, race is, is seemingly everywhere we look, every turn, every news article, every internet site, uh, any, every news story is about race and race and race and race. And um, this is something I do like to talk about just because I think we have things completely backwards. And uh, I was turned on by a previous guest of mine to my guest today, uh, who uh, is in who has started an organization called Erase Race. And I am um, very excited to have uh, the founder, Carlin Charleston, on the show today. Uh, Carlin, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Oh, my pleasure. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually start off with a video that you find on your website because it's really well done. And I think it kind of gives us a good way to start into uh, what you believe, what your organization's about. And then we'll come back and, um, and we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about all that you're doing um, and, and everything, that, everything that's going on and a number of other topics too. So I'm going to play it right here. Hello, I'm Carlin Charleston, Executive Director of Erase Races, and I want to take this time to invite you to an opportunity to change the world. Perhaps you're too busy and too preoccupied to help change the world, but please take the next two minutes to listen to how we plan to do it. The divisiveness and bitterness observed in our country today is not a coincidence of the current administration or any administration before. It is also not a product of a singular or multiple infractions by a zealous or racist police force. No, the race problem precedes the founding of our country. Our very history speaks in racial language and most everything that happens in our society now carries with it racial baggage. It simply does not have to stay that way. The Race Race campaign has only one objective, the unifying of all Americans and that without regard to the color of their skin. This is a difficult challenge because of our history but we can do it if we believe. If we believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was right when he said, we are tied together in a single garment of destiny, we can do it. 
We can do it if we believe the founding principles upon which our country was built, that all men are created equal, we can do it. And if we believe that God did in fact make all nations of men from one man and that we are all therefore part of one family, one race, then we can do it. Yes, the task is monumental, but the reward is worth the challenge. If you would like to join us as we change America and inevitably change the world, go to EraseRaces.com, sign up today, and welcome to Erase Races, because there is only one race and you're in it. So uh, th that's such a great video and it really puts things really well, Car Carlin. So uh, t tell me what, what caused you to, um, to start this organization? Yes, and that video goes back a few years. And so it's way before the thing that happened, uh, that's happened recently. And so, uh, you know, I've always had this inclination to uh, feel this way about this concept of race. And it began when I was working on a master's degree program and I had to do a research paper and um, and I researched the idea of race and found out that it was um, it was something that was invented and that it was a social construct and all these things that people now talk about in in very everyday terms people say this you hear this a lot about race being a social construct and being invented but I didn't know that four years ago you know when I began researching this and and uh, after I did that then I realized that, wow, this has caused so many of the problems that we've got in our country. And so I said one day, and I was a high school teacher at the time, and I used to joke with my school students all the time about one day I'm going to fix the, fix the world on race. You know, and I used to make jokes about it. And I said, we're going to have you race race. And so when you talk in here, there's no such thing as black people or white people. I want you to start every sentence with erase race if you want to talk about people of different skin colors. So it was a joke for a while. And then eventually I felt a calling to really do that. And I left, began the nonprofit erase race. And so that's what I'm doing now. So it's interesting uh, that that you say, you know, it started kind of four years ago when you did a research project. So what was your perspective on things prior to that? Did you have a, you know, a different ideology? Yeah, it really, um, it really began to explain, because I think I had the same ideology, but it been, began to explain the way that I had kind of lived my life. Because uh, though I grew up in, in the 60s in Texas and in a pretty segregated county that didn't integrate schools until I was in second grade, I was kind of immune from all that. I didn't realize that I was kind of immune from all that because of the way my parents raised me and things like that. And, and the, the environment that I was in, very integrated after you know schools began integrating, and then all of the professional things that I had done in life, whether it was in the Marine Corps and teaching, I'd always been in very integrated environments. And so when I did that research, it basically explained the reason that I desired to be in such an integrated and diverse environment from the beginning. So it all makes sense. Well, yeah, and it does. And, it, and it's what's what's great about what you're saying about being in a diverse environment is, is that when we're, you know, oftentimes in our in our younger life where we're, when we're growing up, we're living in a community and we're going to be around people that are similar to us, whether we're Hispanic, black, white, whatever. But when we, when you get out as an adult into the real world and you have jobs, you, you, you're a Marine and the like, you're engaging with lots of different people, different races, different religions, all sorts of different things. And, you know, I just love the whole concept of, you know, one human race. Cause that's really, that's really what it is. So um, I, I want to go through, if you don't mind, uh, you know, so on your website, uh, you, you go through, um, you, you go through some steps here. Um, 
with, uh, as far as, you know, what you guys do. And I want to see if you want to, you know, kind of go through these and kind of explain what you guys do, because it says what happens when erase race comes to town. Yes. And so this was, and of course we say COVID adapted there. And so a lot of this was formula formulized before we actually uh, were able to begin doing this. And so what happened was in 2019, I toured the country. I went to 112 cities. I toured 48 States and I was in a minivan and I don't have a picture of my minivan, but this is the um, uh, RV that we hope to get to do the big tour. But I was in my minivan and it's kind of decorated like that. It's very painted and it's got, got to look pretty much like that. And when I went there, then I was advertising to them what we would do when we come to town. And there, these are the things that we want to do when we come to town. We wanted to, first of all, bring people together and say, there's a lot of uh, knowledge that you all need to get about this idea of race. And so we really want to inform people because we think a lot of people simply are not informed about this ideology of race. And so that's the first thing we got to do. And so we've got to open up some form for some dialogue, have an opportunity to talk and get feedback. When we say dialogue, we mean listening as well as hearing. And so once we do that, then we want to have some activities, what we call events, events for intentional integration. One of the things we identify about race was that when race was constructed, then it was intentional to divide. And so we say that we have to be just as intentional to bring people together. And so when we come to town and give you this information, it's not so that we can just say, hey, well, that's great thing. Those are great things to know. We need to have some activities and events and some do some things to intentionally bring people together because there's something greater than just saying we're diverse. It's about the good that we can do as we come together. And that's what we hope to bring about. So, uh, so what, what are some, some of these activities that you guys do to, to sort of bring people together? Yeah, we, we, we started with this one group uh, in Louisiana, which was one of my first stops. And they had this amazing thing called a men's unity breakfast. And at the time, so that was 20, I guess, 2019, they'd been doing this for three years. And so they started early 2017 and they do these unity breakfasts. And so they had people of varying dem demographics come together once a month and they do these unity breakfasts. And so um, they did an amazing thing. They had two guys who were, one guy was quote unquote black, one guy was quote unquote white. And they talked about their lives and how their lives start out, where, I was, where they were born. And they just did this amazing thing. And I said, you guys need to take that on the road. So I'm now the guy taking that on the road. But what they did was they showed how their lives were diverging and then how they converged and how these guys being from totally different backgrounds now are in such solid relationship. And so, so that's a particular event. And so with those guys, we are taking some of the ideas that they've had for the unity breakfast and other things and saying, hey, well, let's create a calendar of national unity events. And so we'll take an idea when I go to a city and say, here, we've got a men's unity breakfast or here we have a ladies luncheon or here we have this thing that happens and all you can eat steak night for men or, you know, and all the activities, the great ideas that are being uh, generated by so many people in so many different cities, we now have access to see all of these things and offer them up to people in varying parts of the country and say, what about this? And would you like to come along and be a part of this thing? And we bring the intentional integration aspect to it because we'll find people in that city who signed up and said, we'd like to be a part of that. And we intentionally bring those different demographics together so that we can uh, just learn each other and then learn to work together. Yeah. So what's the reception like? Uh, obviously, I can see some people really loving this and really enjoying it. Have you gotten any criticism or pushback from anybody? No. And that's probably because, like I said, when I did the 112 cities, when I, I was talking ideology, I was talking about our hopes and dreams. 
and what we want to do. And so everybody's kind of on board with that. So I think any resistance we'll face, we'll find when we say now is the time because uh, we're starting later this fall because my wife was diagnosed with cancer back in October of last year. And um, a friend came and said, well, you know, that was done to intentionally slow you down because it took COVID didn't slow you down. And now you got, <laughs> so it had to slow you down. Yeah. But so, but, but she's recovered. She's doing well. And, great, great. and starting later on this fall, we plan on uh, once again, getting back on the road and um, begin implementing. And so I, I expect to fully run into some people who will say, uh, who will reject the idea and the notion. But, you know, but I, there's so many more people, I'm sure, who will be who are ready to accept this and ready to take action on this. Yeah, I, I think anything we do, there's going to be haters and there's going to be lovers. And I think one other reason why you you haven't gotten resistance and maybe you won't get as much is because you're a Marine and you're in very good shape. So I have to imagine <laughs> it, it, it's good. It's tough to uh, uh, for anyone to disagree with you to your face, which is a good thing for sure. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, really, when I go to these cities and talk to, and I tell people, it's just having toured the country and met, meeting so many people. I said, if you go the right way and if you talk to people the right way and don't give them a reason to reject you, because there are a lot of people who are kind of opposed, I'm sure, to what I'm saying, but I don't give them a reason to reject me because even if they differ, disagree with me on what I'm doing, I'm going, I'm very polite and I'm saying, we love to have you. And, and they know at the end of the day that the, my ultimate objective is in fact unity. So even if you disagree with the method, you, you understand, because we do get people who say that, I understand what you're trying to do, but I think your method's wrong. And we're like, okay, well, that's fine. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe your input will help us. And so maybe we'll arrive there together in this state that we all want to get to, which is unity. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's a great attitude to have. And I think, yeah, the more positive we are and in, in, in inviting to people who might disagree, because I think a lot of the disagreement is actually ignorance, right? They, they, people have feelings about something, but they don't have the facts and the evidence behind it for sure. Um, so I want to get, uh, I, I want to get your opinion on some of the topics that are out there uh, today. A lot of them is there's constant fighting about them and constant controversy and controversy and lots of stuff like that. And I would love to get your feedback on some of these. So uh, let me go through these, answer them how, if, and how you want, if you want to, uh, if it's not an area you're interested in going in, just say so, and we'll move on. But uh, let's start off with this notion that America is systemically racist. Yeah. And so I always have trouble with that. And here's one of the things that's the big, uh, a big issue when I'm out on the road meeting people, because one of the things I talk about in our forms of dialogue is that we can make generalized statements. You can always make sweeping generalizations when you don't have personal knowledge of something that dipped to the, to the uh, opposite, to the contrary. And so that's what our problem is that we don't have enough experiences with other people in other demographics. So we make these sweeping generalizations that often aren't true. And so when you make a statement about America is this, you can say America's anything. You could say, I said, it's the same argument you'd have about is America's a baseball country? Is America right. a baseball country or is it a football country? You could argue either way and it, you could go on forever. Yeah. You know, when you talk in detail in, in particulars, then you can, you've got validity to your statements or your statement can be invalidated. And so we make these terms about America being systemically racist because we don't want to identify and it's an easy catch all statement and I don't have to answer any other questions about it. Well, when we have our forms, you've got to tell me what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. What do you mean when you say America systemically racist? Are you saying there's one racist in the country? 
Or are you saying there's 300 million racists in the country? Are mm -hmm. you saying everybody's racist? What are you saying? And I think we use this big catch-all, systemically racist. And so I would categorically disagree with any statement such to that tune because you've got to talk to me about specifics because I can tell you if, it's, if we've got systems, those systems aren't working very well because we had a system of slavery that was crushed by people who were against it. So you, it took some, I guess, people that were not racist to right. change that system so is that system still broken no i would say no and so uh but we really got to talk about particulars i disagree with that statement because it does not address the particulars yeah no that's a really good point i think it is oftentimes used as this blanket statement uh you know first of all i never understood how a country can be racist or anything can this house be racist i mean i mean it's it's people right only people can behave a certain way a country can't per se and i like to look at the united states uh, as as the white people that not just white people but the white people who are being called racist well why don't we look at the white people who fought for many 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 years to end slavery and jim crow and who also died for to end slavery right i mean i think that we kind of want to only apparently look at the percentage of people that were bad. Um, and, and that's just, you know, to me, I, I just, it's it just ugly and, and it's it divisive. Um, so that's a pretty good point too. I like the point you make because, uh, you know, one of my master's degrees is in leadership and I, I talk about that all the time. And I say, you know, systems don't run themselves. It takes leadership. And if you give me a good leader, that leader will fix that system. You know, if it is broken, he'll fix that system. He or she will fix that system. So it falls back on the people that are in that system. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could have a, you know, oftentimes people talk about companies or corporations as though, you know, it's again, a separate entity, but it's the people, you know, a company could have, do some bad things. It's not the company, it's the people. And then new people come in. And as you said, the leadership changes. Um, so, so let's, I guess it's along the same lines, but it's a little bit different. And, and it's the, uh, you know, statement you often hear is that America was founded on racism. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is kind of the same, but it's really different. And uh, because, you know, and here's one, because you, and there's a question there. Everybody's talking about critical race theory, whether or not mm -hmm. it should be identified out there. But it has to do with, I think, in a lot of cases, where do you want to begin assessing America? Because America, I mean, and, you know, you could start 1607. You, you know, you could start it. Some people uh, who want to start at 1619, 1776. And so it depends on what you're talking about. Once again, you got to get to the particulars because America was, of course, this slow evolution from what happened in Europe and, you know, and the, in the new world and what was taking place as people began moving over here. So at any point, you could identify that the values that made us America began at this particular point. And then you would have to talk about those values. And I think the values that that we've identified that are American, truly American values, are were kind of part of an evolution of people as we uh, faced what we as we ran ran from the king and what and all that was happening there and began to encounter some of the things that happened in the new world. We went the the founders went through a lot of hard times, you know, and so as they began to develop, they began to realize that number one, we know we don't want what the king had for us. We hate what happened there. And so that Declaration of Independence is a big document in identifying what we were trying to do in America. So any statements about, that you make that uh, would identify uh, when America started, what it what it meant at the time would have to be clarified so that we're talking about the same thing. And so America's, it was, you know, the founding of America and the founders 
people were human beings and they were human beings who had a lot of different views about a lot of different things. And you took, I, I had this statement about Thomas Jefferson. I call it the Jeffersonian contradiction because from this same man who said that all men are created equal was the same man who felt like Africans were a lesser intelligence and things like this. And his notes on Virginia written later, he, he said that made that statement. And I said, it's kind of like us. We make these statements ourselves about, well, I believe that all people are the same. But then we start talking about groups of people and we say some very nasty things sometimes. And so we kind of all have these contradictions in our lives where we say one thing and we live something else. And so this, that's the nature of being human. And so to characterize a person and characterize me by that one thing I said at a point in time and say, that's how I was, that would be a bad thing to do. And it would not capture who I really was. And I think that's what we do with the founders. We take a statement that is negative and sometimes we take a statement that's positive and we try to characterize their entire lives by that. And that's not appropriate, you know, but you can identify people for the good that they represent. And let's take the best things and say that had a key part in making America what it, what it is today. Yeah, it's such a great point. Uh, so many good points in that. And I, I actually think about the issue of 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 slavery and in the progression that people in our country went through very similar to, you know, another evil that we're facing today, and that is abortion. And, we, you know, we look at, you know, what, how long it continues to take to end it, and it's still not ended. And through since, you know, Roe v. Wade, and now it's been many, many years, there have been laws, there's been lawsuits, there's been people who've um, changed their ways over the course of time. There were people maybe who were hypocritical um, in their views and things like that. Um, but ultimately, I think we, I don't look at the United States as a pro-abortion country, right? I don't. It, it happens to be the law, just like slavery was the law at one time. But this, I don't believe this is a um, a baby killing country, if we were to phrase it that way, um, we'll, we'll end it eventually, just like we did other evils. Um, so you, you had mentioned uh, critical race theory, and that was actually going to be one of my questions, because, I mean, you kind of addressed it, but it, you know, that there's a lot of talk about that right now. And, and I think it actually, to, to your point about the two other points is when, where you said, when someone says critical race theory, Hey, I'm for it. The first question out of my mouth is, well, what is critical race theory to you? Because I don't know that it's really been truly defined. So can you speak to that? Yeah, uh, yes, because boy, have I spent a lot of time with critical race theory. And, uh, and my first critique about it, and then I'll talk about the particulars of what, what it's supposed to be, is that it is in fact not critical enough. You know, First of all, when you talk about any theory in the, in, in the realm of theory, you're talking about someone's ideology, someone's belief system, and, and in fact, critical race theory, if it was entertained that way as just a, an idea, then that would be okay. But what it really is, it really means uh, when you talk about critical race theory, it's the dogmatic interpretation of things that are to be true about American society. And so it makes these assumptions. Therefore, uh, that's what I said. That's why I say, well, number one, it's not critical. And number two, it's not theory because it makes these um, this, these assumptions that America is irredeemably racist. And so, and it says, when you, when you bring those things, first of all, you make an assumption about all the country, which we talked about before, you make an assumption, and then you make it dogmatic as though it's 
as, as proven theory. And so theories need to be proven. And that one is not because there are many things in there to disagree with if, if it were simply theory and points that we could refute. Uh, the founders, and the other part of that is that the founders of critical race theory, uh, whether in the 70s or 80s, you know, what we have today is somewhat different than some of the things that they were articulating. And even those basic principles they were articulating were things that were more in the theoretical realm and people were discussing them as not not as dogmatic and and rules of law but more as the ideas but however on the other side of that even if those things are ideas then i combat that because it is in fact ideology that gets us in trouble and so uh, when i talk about race the race ideology is the problem from the very beginning the fact that we had this social construct that was invented for a particular purpose which was to divide and which did and subjugate a people then the first thing I say that we should do is we should get rid of that concept or that construct. But we don't do that. And with critical race theory, we then begin to build on that construct. So if you've got a fallacious construct such as races, and then you build on top of that, then you're unstable and you're way down the road on making lots of decisions and ideologies that are not true. Yeah. You know, you know it maybe as you were saying all this and I'm thinking about, you know, so, so my, my heritage is obviously I'm, I'm white, but I'm European, right? My, I'm half Italian. Um, the other two quarters of, you know, are Irish and I guess Hungarian. I'm not even fully sure all my background, but no one would say that I'm European. No one would say you're a European American. You know, Africa is a very big country, you know, to say someone's African American. Well, where, where in Africa, just like Europe is a very big continent. Um, I, I should say, Africa is a, con con a very right. big continent. And, you know, well, where, where in Africa, where in, you know, there's a big difference between my Italian heritage and my Irish heritage look a lot different, you know? So, so it's always interesting. They want to even take, you know, African-Americans and make them an even smaller subgroup. Yeah. Because, you know, even, even in your background, because there was a time in America where you would not have been identified as white. So white was actually an invention, just as, as race was an invention, white and black were just inventions. And so there was a time when you would not, if you weren't of the Nordic European stock, then they were the only ones. The Anglo-Saxons were the only ones who could qualify for white. But then as they began to expand that out for whatever purposes, then, then they started including more. And so, yeah. So yeah, those are the kind of things that people need to be informed about so that they understand the fallacy of using such a construct as race. Yeah. So, uh, so why do you think everything is, is about race? Everything is racist. Like you can't say anything without being called a racist. Um, we had, and I, and I'm at the top, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was that, that put this all together, but, but it was a group or an individual who talked about, you know, that math is racist and being on time an articulate or something like that is racist or is, or, or is white supremacy or something like that. And I'm thinking being on time, you're a Marine man, right? I mean, that, that don't cut it for you. Uh, why is, why, why, why are they, why do they do this? This is, uh, you know, and you, you bring up the Marine point, and this is one of the things that I use in, in solving the problem. When I talked about earlier about how I became a part of institutions and organizations that were what I call uh, race neutral or didn't have an idea of race where race was subjugated, then 
that's what our, our country needs to do because uh, I mean, that's, that is really the solution, but why it happens is because, um, and I would attribute a lot of this to critical race theory in itself, because I mean, we had civil rights movement and yeah, we had, we had slavery, we had Jim Crow, we had civil rights, we had segregation that was happening and, and all of that. And then we came out of that, the desegregation of schools. So we were on a trajectory of integration and moving the right direction. But then in the late seventies, early eighties came this same critical race theory, because I remember you might, I don't know if you're old enough to remember shows like the Jeffersons and good times and shows like that and all in the family. These shows made light of the issue of race and he actually talked about it. And Archie Bunker was seen as a racist, but he had these friends who would come over and he would relate to them, you know, and he was still who he was, but you saw him in, uh, relating to people in other demographics. And so you had the spinoff of the Jeffersons. So we were, we were, this is a way I think that our country was dealing with the issue of race, knowing that we had this history. Well, the late 80s, because that was 70s and stuff, in the late 80s, with the introduction of critical race theory, we took a totally different view of, of race ideology. And instead of it being this thing that we knew was a bad idea, which the good times and the Jeffersons made fun of because they everybody knew it was a bad idea, it became more legitimate, more legitimized in the eyes of people. And now, and so when once the 80s and 90s came in, we were we've been talking about race differently. And we've taken it as solid theory and and real uh, a really a real thing and so race has a different view and so now we so this has been brewing for decades now so for the last in 2000 all the way up to now 21 it was it was coming to a head and that's one of the things that i began to sense um and i remember uh, president obama gave the great race speech in 2007 and i told my wife at the time i told my wife i said melanie this is uh, bad you, he doesn't understand. We're heading in the wrong direction here by making a bigger deal of this idea of race. And so that was the thing that drove me in 2016 to start saying, we got to do something. We're going the wrong direction on this race thing. And uh, so it's been getting, and it's just been building. And so now race is the thing. And that's why everybody's racist. And if you're not, if you're not an anti-racist, you're automatically racist. And so our society is really messed up that we've given race more validity and we should have been doing exactly the opposite and given it less. Yeah, that, that's such a great point and, and a great, great place to end it. Although uh, I mentioned to talk to you much, much more. So I'm hoping that you'll agree to come back on uh, maybe when you're uh, on the road in one of your events or something like that, we could do something live and uh, uh, show show all the participants, because I think what you're doing is is absolutely fantastic and is something that really needs to be done. So um, I applaud you for it. And I thank you for your service as well. Sure. Um, once a Marine, always a Marine. Right. That's that's, that's right. Uh, um, uh, so, so real quick, so to end it here, you know, where can people find you? I'd love for my listeners to, you know, to go to your sites and, and learn more about it, about your organization and participate if possible. Right. You can go to our website, uh, eraseraces.com. There's only one race. So we're erasing races and you can also find us on Facebook at erase races. You can find us, uh, you can, you can find me personally on Carlin Charleston, uh, on Facebook, just look up my name, Carlin Charleston, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Just look me up by name, and uh, 
we've got a lot of other things that we're doing now. I'm um, working with this group called The House. And so we're going to take Erase Race and really we're blending with a lot of other organizations to, to bring out about the change that we want to bring about. So it's going to be pretty exciting, but you can stay posted by going to our website, eraseraces.com. Great. Fantastic. Uh, Carlin Charleston, uh, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Um, I'm glad to know that I didn't oppress you. And you didn't feel <laughs> oppressed on this uh, during this. I'm not conference. oppressed. I'm not oppressed. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. I'm not an oppressor. Believe me, I, I if we arm wrestled, I think you would be oppressing me. That's for sure. Uh, so, uh, Carlin, if, uh, thanks so much uh, for being here. I really appreciate it and uh, hope we can talk again. And uh, thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fide's podcast with Carl Carlin Ch Charleston, excuse me, uh, executive director of Erase Race. You got to get to this website. Uh, you got to check him out in his organization. It is fantastic. And it's definitely something our country needs. So uh, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time.